We'll be in Genesis chapter 32 as we look at uh, Jacob's return to his homeland and his return to uh, reconcile with his brother Esau. And, and uh, this is uh, another one of those well-known stories of, God, of Jacob wrestling with God. And uh, we're going to look at uh, this text in two parts. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 and then verses uh, 22 through 31 as we consider God's word today and uh, consider what this story of Jacob wrestling with God means for us today. So I hope you're able to turn with me there and let's go to the Lord in prayer and seek his blessing on our time together and then we'll get into our text and seek to understand God's truth today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that you are the giver of life and that your word gives us life. It gives us eternal life, through, particularly through the presence of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. So Father, as we consider your word today and what it means for us, may it draw our hearts and our minds to you and to seek after you. And because we seek after you to receive the life that you have for us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, give me the words that I might say that would uh, encourage and build up and take away those words that would distract or lead astray. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So in our text today from Genesis 32, we find that Jacob is motivated by fear and God is motivated by his promises. Jacob has left his Father-in-law Laban, as we saw last time, he's left them with left Laban with his four wives and eleven children, and he's trekking home to see his aging father and mother. And there's one task that Jacob has left unfinished this whole time that he's been go- gone, and that he must accomplish before he can return to his homeland to reclaim his birthright and inheritance. Remember that Jacob gained his inheritance and his birthright and the blessing of of his father Isaac by tricking his brother and his father out of those things. Well, now we find that these two men uh, are, are about to be reconciled, and this is many years later. Both Esau and Jacob have gained great wealth and, and built up a great family as uh, over the years. But what we are going to find out in our text today is that before Jacob could be reconciled to his brother, he has to be reconciled to God. We're going to see this in two parts as we look at these two different sections of the text today. We're going to see, number one, Jacob's motivation of fear, and secondly, God's motivation of grace. So first, I want, to see, I want you to see that Jacob is motivated by his fear of his brother. Look with me at Genesis chapter 32, verses 1 through 8. In verse 1, God's word says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, 
I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkey, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So first of all, I want you to notice that this story has its beginning and its ending with visits from angels. There are three times in the whole story of Jacob's life that we find God visiting him. One we saw earlier when God came to him through the vision of the stairway to heaven. The second we find in verse 1 of this passage. And the last we're going to find in the second passage that we're going to read. In all three of these cases, God visits Jacob even though Jacob isn't seeking God. In this case, Jacob is just on his way back home, and God sends angels to meet with Jacob and to encourage him on the road ahead. Now, the text doesn't indicate anything about this visit other than that it happened. We don't know what was said. The only clue that we have in this passage is what Jacob named the place where he met these angels in verse 2, Mehanim. This name means two camps. It's interesting that immediately following the encounter with these angels, Jacob sends messengers to Esau to seek out his brother. So here's what I think transpired. And this is just Nathan Skipper commentary. This isn't necessarily in the text, but this is what I think transpired in this meeting with God's angels. I think God's mess, God sent his messengers to encourage Jacob to reconcile with his brother Esau. And the reason I think that is because Jacob has no reason to reconcile. In fact, the only thing that he knows about Esau is that Esau wanted to kill him. The last time he talked to his brother, his brother wanted to kill him. The whole reason he left and fled to Ur was so that his brother wouldn't kill him. So he has no reason to seek out his brother. But after this meeting with these angels, all of a sudden, the very next verse, it says that Jacob sends an envoy to his brother to seek him out. And I think that the angels encouraged him to go and to seek out and to reconcile with his brother. And even though Jacob obeys the word of God, he still shows fear in doing so. What his servants, when his servants return from seeking out Esau, they come to report that Esau's coming, and that sounds like good news. Oh, your brother received us well, and he's coming to meet you. But he's coming to meet you with 400 men. Now, 400 men in these days was a battalion of an army. This is how many people, if you remember back when Abraham conquered the kings that uh, had, had kidnapped Lot, uh, he took 300 men with him. This was around the number that you needed to fight in a battle as a battalion of soldiers. So 
If Esau wanted to come and meet Jacob, he could have just come by himself or he could have come with a few bodyguards. But instead, he's coming with a full battalion of men. And this sends Jacob into a panic. Remember that he has young sons and daughters and four wives and some servants. He doesn't have trained fighting men. So he assumes that Esau is on his way to carry out this long-held death wish that he has on Jacob. And Jacob is still motivated by fear in spite of the fact that God has protected him wherever he has gone. God protected him when he left his homeland. God protected him when he lived with Laban. And now God has commanded him to be reconciled with his brother and God is still going to protect him even in this. But Jacob is scared to death. And notice what he does. We find out from our text that he splits his clan into two camps. He does this so that he might be able to preserve at least half of his family if one half is attacked. Another thing that we find out later in the chapter is that he sends great gifts to meet Esau, basically so that he can buy Esau off before Esau gets to him. He tries to use his wealth and his wits to protect himself from his brother. But even still, he can't seem to overcome the fear and anxiety that he feels about the situation. So this brings me to my second point that I want you to see from the text today. Jacob is motivated by fear, but God is motivated by grace. God is motivated by his promises to Jacob. Look with me at Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. <clears throat> he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was, a, was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his socket, his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Jacob can't sleep because of his anxiety about his confrontation with Esau. So like anybody who's anxious over something, he's, you know, I don't know if you've ever been anxious over a decision or uh, impending uh, controversy that you have with someone 
and, and you constantly mull over it during the night and you might rearrange things 15 different times trying to get ready for it. Maybe you've got to give a speech or confront someone and you think it over and write it out and then you rewrite it and over and over again. Well, that's what I see Jacob doing here. And so he gets up in the middle of the night, gets all his family up and he takes them across the river to the protected side of the river. And then he moves back across the river to be by himself. And while he's there, just very vaguely, the scripture says that as he gets alone, he immediately meets a man and begins to wrestle with him. Now, this is weird. The way this is worded, the way this story goes, this is strange. We don't have any idea of how this transpired. We don't know, number one, if Jacob's sitting there by the fire and all of a sudden this dude shows up and he starts fighting him, or if Jacob actually goes across the river to seek the man out and starts wrestling with him. But in either case, he starts to wrestle with this man that isn't ever named and doesn't ever really have any other thing than to wrestle with Jacob and, and give him a blessing. But we know that this is no ordinary man. For one, we find out that this man is supernaturally strong because it says that Jake, he touches Jacob's side and it dislocates Jacob's hip. Second, we find out that Jacob knows that this man is indeed the Lord God Almighty. For one, we find out in verse 26 that Jacob is wrestling with him because he wants his blessing. Second, the man gives Jacob a new name, Israel, which the name Israel means he strives with God. And finally, in verse 30, Jacob says that he has met God face to face. So who is this man? This man is none other than the pre-incarnate Son of God. So if Jacob is wrestling with God himself and God is all powerful, then why does God allow this to go on all night? Why does God wrestle with, with Jacob all night when all he has to do is touch his side and his hip is dislocated? I want to give you two reasons for why I think this is. Number one, before Jacob can be reconciled to his brother, Jacob has to be reconciled to God. Jacob feared his brother because he did not trust God. God had already promised to be with him and had already shown himself to be faithful. But now in his moment of distress, Jacob grabs a hold of God and won't let go till he has some assurance of God that he will bless him and protect him. Second, before, before God would bless Jacob, he had to confess his sin and be changed. Look with me again at verses 26 and 27. In verse 26, <clears throat> it says, Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And that might seem like a little fact in the midst of this strange story. But I want you to think back to how Jacob gained 
the blessing from his father Isaac. Remember, Isaac is blind and has asked Esau, his favored son, to go out and prepare a meal for him, kill an animal and prepare a meal for him. Jacob and his mother uh, come up with this ruse to make Jacob seem like Esau and they make the meal for him and bring it in. And Isaac doesn't believe it to start with. And remember, what does Isaac ask Jacob? He says, what is your name? Who is this? Is this my son Esau or is this my son Jacob? Now, I, Jacob is wrestling with God himself and is asking the same thing of God that he was asking of his father Isaac. Give me a blessing. And what does God do? He says, all right now, you're going to be that little deceiving whippersnapper that you were a few chapters back that, that was willing to set up a ruse again? Are you going to lie to me too? Are you going to try to deceive me? What is your name? And Jacob, unlike the last time that he asked for a blessing, this time he tells the truth. He responds by giving his real name. And now notice what God does. God, after Jacob has confessed and, and admitted who he really is, God changes his name to Israel. Remember, the name Jacob means deceiver. It means hill grabber, grabber or someone who trips you up. It's a deceptive name. And so God changes his name from what he was to what he will be. He is no longer a deceiver who tries to gain things by his own wits and his own wealth. He is now the man for whom God fights. Oh, brothers and sisters, understand that if you would overcome fear and overcome the bondage of your sins, you must first be reconciled to God. Perhaps you are here today and you fear what man can do to you. You fear the consequences of your sin. You fear death and hell itself. First, you must be reconciled to God. And the good news that I have for you today is this. God has already provided a means by which you can be reconciled to him. You were alienated from God, afraid and lost in the world. And Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Today, we have a beautiful picture of that in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we have a symbol of what Jesus has done for us. This simple meal of unleavened bread and grape juice, it symbolizes through these simple elements a powerful reminder of the body and blood of Jesus that was offered up for us so that we might be reconciled to God. This bread is unleavened and white, which symbolizes the purity of Jesus' life. We are born with a nature to sin into a world that is full of sin. Jesus lived the life that we could not live and perfectly obeyed God. 
The grape juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus, which was offered as a sacrifice for sins. The Old Testament law tells us that blood is required for the remission of sin. We know that the death of an animal could never pay for our sins. But the death of the perfect Son of God did pay for our sins by satisfying God's righteousness and justice. This morning we take this bread and this cup as a reminder of what Christ has done for us. So let's pray and then we'll begin our observance of the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we do know that you are indeed the God who answers your promises. You are the God who is motivated by grace. When we were helpless, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Lord, we are thankful for that grace and that mercy. And Father, we are here today as we observe the Lord's Supper to celebrate that mercy portrayed through your Son, Jesus Christ, ultimately fulfilled through your Son, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. Father, we know that these elements are simple, that they uh, in and of themselves don't have really any significance, but because of what your Son has done and because of the symbolism that they hold for us as believers They have eternal significance. So, Father, bless us as we take from this cup and take from uh, the bread of life. Lord, may may they symbolize to us and may they preach to us the gospel and through that uh, give us faith to endure. Father, bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.